remember going to church as an adult, right, for the first time when I started going to church. And I would walk in, and the pastor was like, he said, I want you to pray with your neighbor. And I'm like, well, my neighbor don't go to this church. I don't know. You want me to call my neighbor on the phone? That's creepy. I ain't going to do that. Right, then they explained to me, right, your neighbor is a person sitting next to you. Listen, I'm brand new at this Christian stuff. I don't, not, I didn't even know you're supposed to pray out loud, let alone with this lady. I don't even know this lady. What am I supposed to pray about? Lord, help these bumps go down on this lady's face. I don't know what to pray about. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about, right? She went first. She was praying all good, and she must have been John the Baptist's little sister or something. She was like, dear Heavenly Father, you said in your word in the sixth chapter, the third, third verse of the book of Matthew, the 601st word on page 1248. Lord, you said, but seek. S is in search. E is in everywhere. E is in excellent. K is in kingdom. You're the Alpha Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. I'm thinking, man, she even know his nicknames. <laughs> now, it's my turn to pray, right? But I don't got the spiritual vocabulary to just, but I'm not going to let her out pray me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, God, first of all, you are good people. You know, you are good, Lord. You are good. You were good to the last drop, Lord. Because, um, Lord, I, I just got to obey my thirst, Lord. You know, because choosy moms choose Jesus. So, Lord, because, you know, as the, as the rocket's red glare, Lord, it gave proof to the night, Lord. I believe I could fly, amen. Go ahead, give it up for Michael Jr. He's not here today. You gotta listen to me. But uh, as you may have guessed, we're gonna talk a little bit about prayer this morning. And so I'm gonna ask you to take out your Bibles. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, wherever you are, the venue that you're in, uh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and someone will come and help you with that. Ushers, thank you for serving us in that way. We want to welcome you if you're in the chapel venue this morning or if you're in our video cafe. And uh, we're one church, one message, but many expressions. And so we have venues going on here in the building as well as our Milton campus that's meeting right now and our Spanish campus that we'll meet later on. And uh, great to have you as part of our Portico family. Yeah, just keep your hand up and uh, when they come, you'll be able to put it down. So we're in this series together called Revolution. Rethinking what's best in life and relationships. And last Sunday, Pastor Doug talked to us about, about how to rethink love, the things that we need to do in order to, to love the people around us. And he talked about, you know, the fact that we need to, uh, we need to share what are the things we need to do. I've got to think about this again. We need to speak peace. We need to spend time together. Uh, we need to share, serve each other's needs and share hope with one another. That wasn't bad, right? It's not in my notes. So... I was trying to remember what we talked about. Uh, and today we're going to talk about rethinking prayer and how we can, how we can uh, bring prayer sort of to, to bear in our relationships and in life and how that can improve uh, the way that we reach out and engage people in mission. And so as we're thinking about that this week, uh, you know, we, we came across that Michael Jr. clip. He certainly gives us some things that we can think about, but uh, I want to talk about it from maybe another angle this morning. 
And uh, we're thinking about how does the normal person pray? How does the average person sort of perceive prayer? And, uh, you know, we, we thought about this. I think usually our prayers end up fairly, end up fairly self-focused, don't they? I mean, we, we sort of are thinking about the things that are important to us, which is natural. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, dear Lord, please provide me with a job. Uh, because if we don't have a job, that's something that's kind of pressing on us. Or, or maybe we pray, Lord, help me not to lose my job. Because, you know, I like the job that I have, and, and I want to be able to keep it. Or we pray, you know, if you're single, young ladies, you pray, God, I need a husband. Young guys, you say, God, I need a wife. Some of you young ladies are praying, God, give me a husband with a, with a job. That's the other thing. that you, you See, I can put those together, and it works well, too. Uh, we pray before meals. And, uh, you know, it tends to be a little bit of a, a sort of a... Um, kind of by rote kind of thing, doesn't it? We have the things. I'm guilty. I have the prayer that I pray all the time before a meal. And, and praying before meals is a good thing. We, we're grateful for our food. We're thankful for what God's provided, right? Uh, but, but then sometimes the irony of it strikes me a little bit too. You know, when you're, when you're sitting down and you're having this greasy whopper with cheese and french fries and gravy, and then we pray something like this, God, thank you for this food, and bless it to the nutrition of my body. The irony of that catch you at all? Yeah, well, we're hoping, right? We're thinking, if anybody can do that, God can do that, right? Maybe, maybe, he can. well, no, he can, but does he? I don't know. Anyway, we pray before we go to bed. Our, you know, we teach our kids how to say their prayers. And, and uh, again, those prayers end up being, you know, very simple and family-focused in the beginning. We had our great nieces over a week or so ago, and when we're putting them to bed, uh, my wife was going to sort of help them kind of walk through their, their prayers, but they didn't need her help. They just, their mom has taught them, and they jumped right in, and, and now I lay me down to sleep. Remember that one? And we teach those to our kids, and, and they got to the part where they pray for their family, and it's, you know, it's God bless mommy and daddy and, and grandma and grandpas, and bless my, you know, all my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my friends, and I thought, oh, that's, that's how our kids used to pray. Now, I hope they're praying a little more expanded prayers now as young adults, but, but that's where we start with them. And there's nothing wrong with praying any of these things, but, but where perhaps we need to make an adjustment, and where we want to just talk about today is where praying outside of our immediate needs and our immediate family's needs are concerned. We're going to pray for those things, of course, but I think we need to, to broaden our perspective a little bit. And in the text that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks, it's in Luke chapter 10, if you'd like to turn there right now. Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives an instruction to these 72 people that he is sending out And we remember that that number 72, Pastor Doug mentioned it the last couple of weeks, it corresponds with the number of nations in the world at that time. And so Jesus is giving them a hint about the fact that the gospel is going to go, it's going to go broader than just the Jewish faith. It's, it's bigger than that. And he's sending out these individuals and he instructs them to pray. And if you look at it with me in Luke chapter 10 and verse two, there's just one verse there where he says this, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so in Jesus' instruction, he gives the disciples and these 72 others a word picture of what his mission is all about. It's from agriculture, and he says, here's the thing. There is, there is a harvest out there, and the harvest is ready. It's ready to be brought in, and I'm sending you, but I, but I also need you to, to pray for more workers who will come because the harvest is huge. It's great. It's abundant. 
and we have to, we have to you know, bring this harvest in. And so Jesus is giving them this picture, and he describes those going out on his behalf as the workers who will bring in the harvest, but he says more workers are needed. And so they're going, but they need to pray also that the Lord will send out even more workers. They need to, to intercede on behalf of this harvest, on behalf of those who need to come and help bring the harvest in. And Jesus teaches his disciples and others here about prayer for something outside of their immediate circles and, and about asking God for others to be sent out on mission in his kingdom as well. And notice the approach. He's not focusing on more people that need to come to him. He's not asking them to pray about the harvest. Did you, did you catch that? His focus is on more workers that need to be sent to go to those people who are already ready to come. Do you know that there's a great harvest in our world? People are just waiting to be invited into the kingdom, to be invited to share in, in the message of the gospel. But, but we need to pray for people to go to them and to help people find their way back to God in that way. And so this kind of prayer... Prayer that focuses outside of me and my needs and asks God to work in the lives of others and bring others to Him. It's called intercession. And I uh, don't pretend to be able to give you a full teaching today on what intercessory prayer is all about, but I want to hit some just very basic things that will help us in this way. When I pray for someone else, I'm interceding on their behalf. I'm bringing my influence in prayer to bear on behalf of someone else. I'm joining in their struggle joining in their need, representing that other person before God, essentially, and standing in their place. That's what intercession is all about. And entering into the struggle or the need or the pain of someone else and bringing that to God through prayer is what, is what intercession is, is what intercessory prayer is about. And so Jesus says to these 72, he says, before anything else, before you even go out, you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And I want us to turn, we're going to turn in, in our Bibles to Acts 12 and look at a story together that, that helps us to understand this kind of prayer and learn why it's helpful to us as we follow Jesus' lead in helping people find their way back to God. And so turn there, Acts chapter 12, and while you're finding it, let me just set the stage for you. This story is a great story. Uh, they, the, these were the days following the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus and Jerusalem was a very unsettled place, and the church was being persecuted, and we've got all of this stuff that's going on in the background. James, the brother of John, has been executed by Herod, and now Herod has also taken and he's put Peter, and he's put him into prison as well. And the story says that the church was praying earnestly. They were praying hard for Peter. And the night before he was to go to trial, God sent an angel who helped Peter escape from, these, uh, from this prison he had been chained between two, two guards, two Roman soldiers, and he's actually chained to them, to their bodies. And uh, an angel comes and taps him on the shoulder and says, Peter, get up. We need to go. And so Peter, he's, he's a little bit dazed and confused, and he gets up, and, and uh, you know, the chains fall off. They go out through the, the prison doors, out past the prison bars. They get outside, and when they get to the iron gate that opens into the city, it magically you know, supernaturally opens in front of them. They go down this long street, and then the Bible says the angel leaves Peter, and he's standing there, and, and he's, he's in a bit of a fog. He's like, it's like he's in a dream. You ever, you ever have that where you just, you sort of, you know you're doing something, but you just seem a little bit fuzzy, and yeah, it's, it's kind of that, man, what's going on? And when he comes to himself and to his senses, it's kind of where we pick up the story here in Acts chapter 12 and verse 11. Just follow along with me as I read. It says, Then Peter came to himself and said, 
Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where he knew that many people had gathered and were praying. This would be the normal place that they would gather and pray, so he just assumed they would be there. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed to all the people there, Peter is at the door. And look what they say. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, it must be his angel. You know, like it's, it's got to be his ghost, I guess. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Great story. So I want to just look at it for a few minutes today and, and find a few things that we can learn about praying for others, about this, this prayer of intercession. And so if you have your notes, I want to encourage you to take those out now, or if you're using Version, you can find us uh, there in the uh, live events on your Version app and just follow along. The first thing is this, intercession expands my focus to share in the needs of others. Intercession expands my focus to share in the needs of others. Most of us would say that we already engage in intercessory prayer. We pray for others. We pray for our families. We pray for, you know, those people that are closest to us. But the truth is, it's very easy sometimes to keep that circle of intercession small. You know, God bless me, my, my wife, my two kids, us four, no more. Right? Because we want all the blessing. and We want, we want God to do that. And, and uh, it's, it's not a... You know, it's not a, a bad thing to want that, but we need to, we need to broaden our horizons. Um, sometimes something happens when we look beyond our immediate circle and our immediate circumstances. We actually begin to, to feel something. We begin to share in the needs of others. We begin to share in their experiences and in their pain and in their struggles. Here in Acts chapter 12, the early church understood this. They were praying for one of theirs who was in prison. They had all gotten together. I'm sure that, that each of them had their own issues to think about. Each of them had their own stuff going on. But because Peter was in jail, this was something that, that brought them together. So they, they banded together to pray for Peter, who was in prison. In Acts 12 and 5, it says, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The fact that the Bible records that they were praying earnestly for Peter indicates their personal investment that they were making in Peter's situation. He was in trouble, and they had entered in. They were pleading with God to intervene on Peter's behalf, truly sharing in his need and believing for God to do a miracle. Jesus modeled this kind of prayer for us. If we look at the life of Jesus, we can see different times where he, he goes and withdraws to pray. But there's one in John chapter 17, and we look. there's a whole chapter there and uh, I'm not going to read a bunch of verses from John 17, but you can study this on your own, and you're actually going to spend some time uh, in your community life groups looking at this as well this week. Uh, but, but in John 17, Jesus prays. He prays most of his prayers for his disciples. And then for all of those believers who will come to know him through the disciples. And he prays for that group, and he says, I want you to you know, make them love each other, and I want them to have unity so that the world, the rest of the world can know that I love them and see my love at work in their lives. And Jesus is praying for people to find their way back to God through this group of believers who will be, who will be unified and who will be loving and so on. And he's fully invested in his prayer. 
You see, Jesus knew what had to happen in order for all of this to be accomplished. He knew that he would have to go to the cross. He modeled intercession for us in a way that we will never have to intercede on somebody else's behalf. All God calls us to do in intercession is to pray for them, is to, is to share in their needs in that way and represent them before the Father, before the throne. But Jesus had to go to the cross to intercede on our behalf. And so he models this for us. Here's the thing. When we intercede for others, our focus begins to change. We begin to see a broader perspective, and we actually begin to share in the needs of others. There's this investment that we have to make. Here's what Richard Foster says about this. He says the prayer of intercession requires something from us. It requires our heart, because when we hear and see the news, our hearts want to turn away from the pain and the suffering that we see. But the prayer of intercession calls us to stay present to the pain and to pray for those who are suffering. You see, prayer expands our focus. It makes our world bigger. We watch the news and we see all the stuff that's happening in the world and in Paris and in Yemen and the Middle East and all kinds of things that are going on. And it's easy to turn away, isn't it? And yet, we, we, should be, we should be bringing those things before God. We should be praying on those people's behalf. We never, may never meet any of those people. We may never know what God did even through that. But it expands our focus and it makes our world bigger. I was thinking this week, we were talking about uh, Kevin and Julia Garrett. And uh, we've not publicized a whole lot of information about this because there's a whole diplomatic uh, thing that's happening in the background and we don't want to damage anything that might be, might be occurring. But I want to tell you something. This is what you can do for the Garretts. And if you don't know who they are, these are global workers. It came out in the news last August that they had been arrested by the Chinese government and imprisoned, husband and wife, imprisoned separate from each other. And they, you know, are suspected of selling spies to the North Korean government, which is absolutely ridiculous. We know these people. And so, so what can we do about that? Say, well, I can't do anything. Well, you can pray. Because when you enter into their need, you enter into their experience, and you begin to pray, we don't know. We have no idea what they're going through. We have no idea how they might be feeling. But I'll tell you something. When you begin to pray for them, you start to wonder about that. You start to think about it. You start to imagine so some of the pain and some of the issues that they're going through. And we can enter into their pain as we stand in the gap and as we intercede on their behalf. It would be much easier to turn away, wouldn't it? But intercession causes us to expand our focus and to share in their needs. You want to know how you can develop better relationships with your neighbors? You want to know how you can you know, love people the way that we talked about last week? Maybe you have sort of no baseline with which to start doing any of that stuff that we talked about last week. You're thinking, well, how can I even engage? How can I do that kind of thing? I don't even know their names. I don't know, I don't know who they are. I don't know anything about them. That's okay. Pray for that house and pray for that house and the people that live inside and just begin to ask God to, to pour His favor on them, to bless their home. Speak, speak blessing. And then, you know, as you pray... It, you'll be amazed at some of the things that will happen and the way that God will open doors. We, we talked about this a number of years ago uh, when we talked about adopting your street in prayer. How many of you did that when we did that a few years back? Awesome. Thank you. And I hope that you're still praying for your street. But I want to revisit this this morning. And so uh, there's a website that you can go to. You say, well, why do I need to go to a website? Because it gives you a little bit of accountability, because it helps you to, to sort of Remember that you made a commitment to do something. And so, <coughs> excuse me, transformourworld.org slash en slash adopt. It's there. 
And uh, we have a couple of screenshots of the site. If you go and you put your address, uh, yeah, just hold that up there for a minute in case somebody's writing it down, and I'll keep talking. Is that okay? When you go to the website, there's a place that you can put your address in there, and there's a map, and it will drop a pin on the map where your house is, and uh, you can even actually put a, a walking route if you want to do that, and, and say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for this part of, of the city of Mississauga or Oakville or wherever you live in the region. And then it asks you for some other information, an email address, and, and you can set up a password and so on. And when you do that, when you set it up so that you can log into the site, then it will bring up a, a, a third category where it says, uh, you know, about a prayer initiative right there. And when you put your address in, it will actually bring up a list that includes Portico Community Church and Portico Milton. And you can join one of our prayer initiatives, and together we can pray for our city. Sound like a good idea? I think it's a good idea. So I want to just encourage you. Um, maybe we'll put the website address up there one last time in case uh, you didn't get it all the way, all the way down. And uh, we'll just leave that up there for a minute. There, this is a way that you can begin to engage your neighborhood by adopting your street in prayer. And we want to just challenge you. So intercession expands my focus to share in the needs of others. Second, intercession requires that I trust God more than myself. Requires that I trust God more than I trust myself. You see, when when we face challenges, when we face uh, situations, uh, we sometimes have one of two knee-jerk reactions, don't we? we? We think in two ways. If, if there's this great big sort of mountain in front of us, we, we either think, um, you know what, I can't do anything about that. And we resign ourselves that there is nothing that we can do. Resignation, this is how it's always going to be, I can't do anything about it. Or secondly, we rely on our own strength. We think, okay, we can do this. You know, how can we do this, uh, you know, one step at a time, I've got this, it's okay, I can handle this. And we think either in one of those two ways. The humorous part of our story in Acts You know, Peter's in jail, and the church is earnestly praying. It seems that their faith levels, though, were not all that high. Here's why I know this. Because because they're praying, and they're believing God. And, you know, have you ever prayed like this, but in the back of your mind you're thinking, oh, this is never going to work. Like, I don't really know if God's going to do this. I'm not really sure. You know, like, we're, we're a little bit uncertain, right? And so they're praying away, and they're believing God. And here's what's happening. In the challenging circumstance of Peter's imprisonment, the church was praying, but when God actually did something, they couldn't believe it. I love this part of the story. Peter comes to the house, and they're, you know, he's banging on the door. Rhoda comes, and she answers the door, and she hears Peter's voice. She's so excited, she leaves him standing out there with the door closed. She runs back, and she tells the rest of them, look at their response in Acts chapter 12 and verse 15. You're out of your mind. These are not nice people. They, they, you're nuts. What, what do you mean Peter's outside? And when she kept insisting that it was so, they came up with an excuse. I need to understand this. This is what they were thinking. So it must be his angel, or it must be a ghost, because that's the only way I can sort of, sort of you know, put this all together. You see, when I intercede for others, it requires that I trust God more than myself, more than my own strength, my own understanding. Because when, when we intercede in prayer for a situation, like the Garrets, for example, there's nothing that I can do, nothing I can do for the Garrets in this physical realm. There's nothing. And yet, I'm trusting that God will do something, that my prayers will help to change that situation because we, we have to completely and totally trust 
in God for an absolute miracle in this, in this case. When you pray for your street and pray for your neighbors to find their way back to God, you need to trust Him. You need to trust Him. You know why? Because no matter what you do, no matter how nice you are to them, no matter, and you should be, by the way, and no matter how many times you have them into your home, and you should do that too, no matter how slick your gospel presentation is or how well you explain it to them, do you know what? They are never going to come to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior unless, what? Unless the Holy Spirit draws them. The Bible tells us that in John 6 and 44, no one, Jesus says, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It's the Spirit of God at work in their hearts. And how do we influence what the Spirit of God is doing? We pray. We pray. And the Holy Spirit does the drawing. And so there's this amazing truth that we learn here in Scripture together. Think about the centurion who came to Jesus, and he's got this servant at home who's suffering with paralysis. And Jesus offered to come and heal the man, but the centurion was fully trusting in Jesus. The centurion said, you know what? I believe you can heal him, but you don't need to come to my house. Look at this faith. He says in Matthew 8 and verse 8, it's not on on the screen or in your notes, but he says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. That's the kind of faith we need to pray with when we intercede. It's so easy for us to want to trust in our own strength, to want to do it a certain way, to try and do what we can. But intercession puts the onus on God, and it requires full and implicit trust in Him, realizing that we have limitations in our own strength. I can't heal someone. I can't bring someone to the the point of trusting Christ, but I can pray, and I can intercede, and I can trust God to do that. Proverbs 3 and verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't rely on your own understanding. Don't rely on your own strength, but trust God. So intercession expands my focus to share in the needs of others. It requires that I trust God more than myself. And lastly today, intercession makes me a partner in accomplishing God's plan. Intercession makes me a partner in accomplishing God's plan. I love this. Uh, When the church in Acts were praying for Peter, God answered their prayers and orchestrated a jailbreak with the help of one of his angels. But the church played a significant role, even if they were shocked at the outcome. Acts 12 and 16, it says, But Peter kept on knocking, and when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. It was an absolute miracle. God did it. But the church that was praying were involved in the process. There was a partnership in play. And when we pray in faith and we believe... The Bible shows us that God answers and God hears and He uses our prayers to change circumstances, to change situations, and I believe even to change the world, the course of history. Now, here's the interesting thing. They were praying. They didn't have that much faith. And we could look at this one of two ways. We could say, well, the lesson here is that we have to have more faith, right? That's where we kind of normally would default. The lesson is we have to have more faith. But I'd rather think about it this way. They had a little bit of faith, and look at the amazing thing that God did, right? So here's the lesson. If you even have just a little bit of faith, God can do amazing things. And so we need to pray. We need to trust Him, because He can do incredible things, even with our mustard, tiny mustard seed faith. And so James 5 and verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I want you to understand something. It's not a silver bullet. There's no formula. We can't boss God around with our prayers. There are, there are lots of things to consider. 
God's sovereign will. He sees the whole picture, and we can't see all of what he sees. He's got a plan. But mysteriously, he also invites us to participate. And there are lots of biblical examples. You're going to talk about some of them in your community life groups. But I want to just point you to one story today, a little quick story in Acts chapter 10. Remember Peter and Cornelius? And uh, Peter is in Joppa one day, and, and he's, do, you know, he's doing his, minding his business. And Cornelius is, is uh, up in Caesarea. He's a Roman guard of the Italian regiment, and he's praying. The Bible says he's Roman, but he, he's a God-fearing person. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 2, says he and his, all his family were devout and God-fearing. And he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. And so Cornelius, the Roman, the Gentile, is praying one day. And God speaks to him, and he says to him, you know what? Uh, you need to send men down to Joppa, look for a guy named Peter. And so Cornelius did what the, what the Lord said through the angel. He said, okay. He sends some men off to go and find Peter. Meanwhile, 65 kilometers away, Peter was also doing something. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 9, it says that about noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, so while they're coming, Peter went up on the roof to do what? To pray. Cornelius prayed. God said, send your men. The men are on their way. Peter's praying. And while he's there, the Bible says he gets hungry. There's a meal being prepared. And he's waiting for his food, and he falls into a trance, it says. And he has this vision of all these unclean animals, uh, animals that the Jewish culture would consider completely unclean and defiled, and you can't eat these. And he hears God's voice say, you know, get up, Peter, kill one of these animals and eat. And he said, I can't do that. I can't do that. I've never eaten any unclean thing. And God's voice comes back to Peter. He says, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. Three times this happened. And so after the third time, Peter's starting to get the message. And, and just then, Cornelius's men show up at his door. And God says, there's men at your door. You need to go with them. And so he goes to Cornelius's house, and he preaches the gospel to them. And the Bible says that all of them are saved. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And he baptizes them all in water. And there's this incredible happening in the history of the church where God says, it's not just for the Jews, it's for everybody. And how did it happen? Cornelius and Peter partnered together with God in prayer so that God could accomplish this great mission of expanding his kingdom uh, into the entire world because prayer makes us partners in accomplishing God's plan. Uh, there's a great story. Uh, John Ortberg tells it in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, about Tony Campolo. And uh, Tony Campolo is an evangelist, an author, a speaker. He travels all around. And, and so Tony is speaking one day at a, at a college chapel service. And uh, as sometimes is the case in Pentecostal circles, at least, and this was a Pentecostal school, uh, there was a group of elders of men who came and gathered all around Tony, and he's kneeling in the middle of the floor, and they, they laid their hands on him to pray for him and to intercede, you know, that, that he would do well, and they would have a powerful service. And so they're, they're there, and, and they're praying, and, and time is going on, and Tony says he remembers, you know, the longer they prayed, the more tired they seemed to get, and they were leaning heavier and heavier on his head, while he's, and he's thinking to himself, how long is this going to take, you know? And and then he's distracted because one of the guys actually isn't even praying for him at all. He's not praying for Tony. He's praying for some guy named Charlie Stoltzfus. 
And Tony's listening, and he's saying, this is really bizarre. It's strange. And, and, he, and he, hears, he hears the guy talking, and he's saying, dear Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road about a mile. You know, the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. Why was this man praying for Charlie? He's supposed to be praying for Tony. And, and in addition, the Lord, you know, P- Tony's thinking, God already knows where Charlie Stoltzfus lives. Why is he telling God that? The man continued to pray. He said, Lord, this morning Charlie told me he's going to leave his wife and his three kids. Step in and do something, Lord. Please bring that family back together. And finally, you know, Tony's thinking, this is, this is crazy. The prayer time comes to an end, and he goes in, he speaks. They have a fantastic chapel service, and he's on his way home. And just as he was merging onto the Pennsylvania Turnpike, he noticed a hitchhiker on the side of the road decided to give him a ride. And as they rode along, Tony stuck out his hand and he said, he said, hi, my name's Tony Campolo. And the other guy says to him, my name's Charlie Stolzfus. Campolo couldn't believe his ears. What are the chances? At the next exit, Tony left the interstate and he turned the car around. And as he returned to the interstate going in the other direction, Charlie said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? Tony said, I'm taking you home. Charlie said, Why? Campolo said, well, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? The man was stunned. He's like, yeah, 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 you're right. I did. And he moved over against the door kind of really nervously. He's looking over at Tony, and he's thinking, what is going on here? And then Tony pulled right into his front yard in front of the silver trailer, and Charlie's eyes bulged out of his head. He said, how did you know where I live? Tony said, well, God told me. He didn't explain how the Lord had told him. The trailer door swung open, and Charlie's wife came to the step, and she screamed, you're back, you're back. And, and she ran down to Charlie, and Charlie leaned in and whispered into her ear what had happened, and her eyes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Tony said, you know what? I'm coming in. You two, you sit down. I'm going to talk. You're going to listen. And on that afternoon, he led Charlie Stoltzfus and his wife to Jesus Christ. And that was the beginning of their faith journey, and it was the beginning of the healing of their marriage, and all because some guy who was praying for, supposed to be praying for Tony, prayed as the, as the Spirit led him for Charlie Stoltzfus out loud so that, so that Tony would know what to do and where to go when the time came. They were partners together in God's plan. So we're going to close today. And I want to give you just a chance to quietly pray and reflect. And here's, here's what I think we should do. First of all, I want to remind you of something. God asks us to intercede on behalf of others. But he doesn't ask us to do something that he's not prepared to do himself. I already told you how Jesus has modeled this for us in John 17 and through, through his own death and crucifixion and resurrection. But you know the end of that story? Hebrews says that Jesus lives today. He ever lives to make intercession for you. He lives to intercede for us. And so as you pray for others, know Jesus is praying for you. And and I want us to stand all across this room this morning because I believe that sometimes our posture uh, helps us with our attention span. 
And I want you to think about what we've talked about. You might need to just be quietly praying to God as we sing this song together to expand your horizons, to broaden your focus, to to get your eyes off of yourself and your own needs. Maybe you need to ask God to help you trust Him more for the things that you're believing Him for. Or maybe, maybe you just... Uh, You just want to to know and see the results of your partnership with God as you pray to Him every day. I don't know what it is you're praying about. You know. Maybe there are things that that you're not praying about, and you know you you should be interceding on behalf of those circumstances. And so we're going to sing. Pastor Duane and his team are going to lead us in this song. And I want you just to turn your focus heavenward, if you would. You may not know the words to the song. That's okay. You can pray quietly, or you can sing along. You can do whatever you like. But I want us to take these moments just to center our hearts and focus our attention on Jesus Christ today as we sing. Will you do that with us this morning?
to be the church that you would desire. You'll lie to be seen. Go ahead, just out loud, just pray in your own words. Pray in the heavenly language that God has given you. Let's just spend a moment. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Help us to get our our focus, our attention off of ourselves, oh God. Lord, give us hearts, spirits, God of intercession for those who who need our prayers, God, who, who need for us to partner with you on their behalf. God, in Jesus' name, give us faith to believe, to trust, that God, when we pray, Lord, that you will do miracles, that you will, God, move on the behalf of those who we pray for, that God, as we open our eyes and begin to see the things that make your heart cry, God, Lord, you will just do a work in each and every one of our hearts, we pray. And Father, we just, we are yours today, and we commit ourselves to you in a fresh way. God, to be people of prayer, people who who start there, who begin, God, to pray for those around us so that, Lord, you will give us the opportunities that we need to show them your love. God, to share your hope with them. Father, we thank you for your word today, for the challenge that it brings to our hearts. Help it to settle, I pray. And Lord, begin a work of transformation in us as we take and we apply these thoughts and principles to our lives. God, we thank you for the work that you do in each and every one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Hallelujah. God bless you.